You're listening to episode number six of the Nurture Me podcast. I talk a lot about self-care, and I think a key component of self-care is mindfulness. I've personally worked with our guest today. She's helped me get curious about my emotions and taught me how to honor what my body is asking for, to slow down and to be a witness to what is present in that moment. Today, we're talking to Marin McHugh from Dopamine. Marin teaches, inspires, and leads people back into their bodies with a clear roadmap for gaining control of their life. She is a mindfulness coach, a yoga nidra instructor, and a motivational speaker. Welcome, Marin. You're listening to the Nurture Me podcast, the only podcast that teaches you how to transform your physical and mental well-being so that you can feel your very best. We firmly believe that life is more than another diet. It's time to hear from the experts and support the self-love revolution. Here's your host, educator, nutrition and mindset coach, Jenna Lesnar. Yeah, I had this um, spiritual healing session this week. And can you talk me through like what that was in terms of like where you went or how you found this person and um, like some I context into it? found her through a mutual friend. Okay. And so then I had this session with her and so obviously she knows about my business. Right. And so she was asking me like, what is the goal? Like, where do you want your business to be? And mm-hmm. I immediately just gave her like a, a financial goal, like a number I want to make every month. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that was my go-to. And she's yeah. like, you're viewing it all wrong. Mm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the universe doesn't hear in terms of money. Like they respond to frequencies. Yeah. And she's like, you need to like find the frequency of your ideal client in yeah. order to bring them in yeah. and not speak in terms of money. Like, and she's like, I know you, like your end goal is to help people and not just like, at the end of the day, like, put money in your bank account, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just, like, an interesting perspective that yeah. I guess I never, like, really thought of it in terms. Like, it was oh. kind of, like, not aligned with my mission, right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, I could, when, as soon as she said that, I was like, okay, like, yeah, my goal is to help people, but I'm saying that, oh, I need to make this much money, right? right? And yeah. It like, doesn't really jive. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, that feels so much better to just, mm. like, kind of, like, throw it out almost yeah, yeah. kind of just change how I how I view it so did you are you still in process of landing on like the frequency that you're calling in or did that open up something that became really clear for you I think I'm still like processing it okay. I haven't it's been just like a crazy week because Nathan just came home last week so yeah, away from work or at work yeah, yeah he was up north in Fort Mac for right. two months okay oh so, two months yeah he Jeez. came out for like a short brief in the middle yeah. but still like I'm just like I want to spend all my time with you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um yeah I can't right. <laughs> I still need to work yeah. right yeah and uh so I haven't, like, taken the time for myself to just, like, sit down and just, like, be with that yeah. and, like, kind of, like, explore, like, what that frequency is. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned, I think, in, like, probably within the last year is, like, my old, my ideal client is me a few years ago mm-hmm. or even a year ago, six months ago, right? Like, yeah. And when I work with people that I can recognize, like, I've been in your fucking shoes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been there yeah. that... They're the people I really connect with. Yeah. And I see more growth in them in my programs than people that I don't have that same. You right. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. the empathy, the connection yeah. in that realm. I totally get that. Yeah. It's, it's actually something that I, uh, I really dove into as well when I've done all these different courses on, you know, again, finding your ideal client or who's your muse and, you know, who's your target audience. And um, I would try to come up with all these really creative um, labels of, of who my clients are and what, what realm they fit in. And um, at the end of the day, it's exactly what you just said. It's, you know, I know I can't take anybody further than I've gone myself. Totally. So my target audience is me, give or take, um, like a year ago or six months ago. Mm-hmm. And so the more work we do individually, it just casts an even larger umbrella of what your target audience actually is. Yeah. So for me, it's become 
well, I've always known leading by example is super important in the mm-hmm. work that I do. And I'm continually pushing myself into new uh, realms of discomfort and learning and growth so that I can yeah, cast a larger net, I guess, of people that I feel I can actually support. Right. Um, and I, I just sent you that podcast that I wanted yeah. you to listen to. So um, Mark Grove's podcast with Selena Gray, I was just looking at it, so it's number 54. Um, she talks all about the money mindset. Yeah. And it gets better and better as the conversation goes on. And one of the things she says at the end is that um, we need to view money as love. It's just right. the, it's the energy of love. That's really what it is. And it's our... Uh, limiting beliefs in our subconscious patterns of, of what our parents told us or what we witnessed in our parents that was really passed down to them as well. Yeah. Um, that has created some of this unworthiness or this disconnection in terms of how to really be in relationship with money. Oh, totally. And and even what you just said, like exchanging services, I do yeah. that as well. And, it's, yeah. and it feels like this loving exchange. Yeah. It's no different. It doesn't need to be any different when it comes to money. It's yeah. about love. It's about support doing mm-hmm. what you love and you're inspired by. And in return, you get a monetary value that just brings more energy and more life and support yeah. into yeah. your body. So I, I thought that was a really interesting way of, of perceiving money and yeah. even looking at how do you spend your money and how mm-hmm. do you save your money and, mm-hmm. and being able to do things to support yourself in a way that feels really loving. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. How would you define mindfulness? Mm. So mindfulness, this is a big one I've been really looking into um, because there can be a lot of confusion out there on what is mindfulness, what is meditation, how are they the same and how are they different. Mm -hmm. And then it gets even more confusing because people talk about mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. And so I I really started looking into this and one of the analogies I've, I've latched onto recently that has really helped me in understanding it and explaining it is that meditation is an advanced practice so we can practice meditation without actually getting into the meditative state and that's really what it is for us when we begin the meditation practice it is practice Mm -hmm. over and over and over again but even before we get into practicing meditation we're practicing mindfulness Mm -hmm. now a way to perceive this is mindfulness um, is about curiosity Mm -hmm. and it is effortful It, it takes one-pointed focus on something and as people who are easily distracted um, a lot of stimulation in our world it's it's hard to hold one thought or concentrate mindfulness can be grueling because you're trying to focus just on your breath and after one breath or two breaths suddenly you're thinking about Disneyland or like Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is but it's continuing to come back Mm -hmm. is the practice so the analogy I like to use is that you know imagining that you're like above a map or terrain and you're focused on a river Mm-hmm. And you're following that river, okay. the meandering river. You just focus on it. You're flying above the river. And every once in a while, you see something shiny and you fly off. And then you remember, oh, yeah, I was trying to follow this river. So you come back and then continue going. And then again, distraction, you get pulled over here and you just keep coming back. And really important to recognize that every time your mind wanders, it's also an opportunity to bring it back. Mm-hmm. So you can focus on the fact that it wandered or you can focus on the fact that okay, I'm aware again. Yeah. And whichever of those you feed is going to grow stronger. Yeah. So it's similar. I'm just throwing lots of analogies all together now. Um, another one I heard recently was that the practice of mindfulness is like doing bicep curls in the gym. Mm-hmm. So every time your mind wanders and you bring it back, it's equivalent to a bicep curl. Mm-hmm. And so if your mind wanders 500 times when you're practicing, beautiful, that's 500 bicep curls. Like that mindfulness muscle is going to get really strong. Yeah. So you don't need to get angry at the fact that it wandered, which yeah. is so common for people is I can't stay focused. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And Keep then practicing. Like, yeah, that's where, like when I talk to my clients about it, yeah. they're like, well, no, I can't do it because like I'm so bad at meditation or oh, like yeah. that type of thing. And I'm like, but like nobody's good at it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <But> like, exactly. <laughs> that's just what our minds do. They wander. It's like yeah. that bring it back like you said exactly is like the key piece and the mindset around it right because mm-hmm. we even what you were already sharing before we started is how easy it is to get into self-doubt mm-hmm. and comparison and judging and shooting on ourselves and and when we do that when we're practicing mindfulness it's not a fun process whatsoever we're just yeah. focused on all the ways that we're lacking or we're yeah. not good at this thing we're trying to practice yeah it's not going to make you want to come back and practice again no. Right, so the mindset in it, and focusing on growth and progress, and and trusting that 
when your mind wanders, it's just an opportunity to bring it back, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And the more we do that, we focus on this meandering river for long enough, we sustain our focus, it then opens up into the expansive ocean, which I perceive as meditation, mm-hmm. where suddenly the effort is gone, and we yeah. surrender, yeah. and we're connected to everything and nothing. Um, your body might even feel like it's expanded a hundred times. It's bigger than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like this sense of ease and bliss. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a moment and sometimes it's several moments. And other times you might be able to tap into it and suddenly you're in a transcendental experience for several days, which has happened to me. Cool. Yeah, really, really neat. It kind of each time it like steps you into a higher level of consciousness. What is that like to be in that for several days? Oh, it's... Well, <laughs> so the the way I got into it, actually, that was most recent for me is um, I've been taking the myofascial yoga teacher training with Christine Wuschke. Oh, fascinating. It's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, really, a few years ago, I realized I need to learn the art of slowing down because I understand mm-hmm. it cognitively, but I'm not doing it. My mm-hmm. body doesn't get it. And um, this was part of why... I really dove into mindfulness and meditation as well as because I knew it was good for me and I was having a really hard time doing it. And so I've done many different trainings in the realm of slowing down, meditation, yoga nidra, yin. Um, myofascial yoga was a part of that for me. It's, it's learning the art of somatic movement, slow movement, um, using myofascial balls, like really, really soft, um, blown up balls instead of uh, like a lacrosse ball to be non-violent with your body and squish into the fascia, get it rehydrated. Um, So learning about the body in terms of it, everything is fascia. Christine then went into this really esoteric place of, you know, the parallels to to the universe. Mm -hmm. And what she said was, you know, that, so first of all, when you understand that in the first six to eight weeks of an embryo, it's all fascia. Mm. It's twisting, coalescing, compounding, um, creating the different systems that we know as the body. Mm -hmm. So we look at a baby or even an adult and we can see the different parts that make up the whole. But if you don't come back to the fact that it all came from the same thing, it's all fascia. The body is so wise because fascia is wise. Mm -hmm. And it's the nervous system that hijacks the fascia and makes us to um, search out for danger or seek status or different things that can really take us off on this um, another tangent but when we're just in openness receptivity presence in our body um, we're in the wisdom of the fascia so she then says you know if you think about the way the universe potentially was created the big bang yeah it there was nothing Mm -hmm. and then there was an immense amount of energy that then exploded out in all directions right And as time went on and things started mixing and coalescing and separating, we start seeing these different galaxies and universes and planets that are all working together as their own system. So it's easy to look up into the sky and be like, those are the stars. That's the blue sky. That's a cloud. There's the sun. This is the earth. Mm -hmm. Here am I. And that person is separate. But it actually all came from the same thing. Right. We're all connected. So that phrase, we are all one, landed in my body officially I was like oh my god I get it I still like I feel like still trying to wrap my head around that right yeah yeah when I first heard I was like what is this no (laughs) yeah it's so interesting hey how and it's all about timing and and what you've already gone through and I really am feeling like everything that I've been doing has been setting me up for the next moment right every single day something is happening I'm learning something, I'm aware of something, um, something new comes onto my radar, or I look back at something that I, I knew five years ago, and I see it through this new lens of what I know now, and suddenly I'm like, oh my god. Like, Isn't that fascinating? Oh, it's so <laughs> cool. So with doing this myofascial yoga training, we did so much meditation, we were really in our bodies. I've been practicing mindful embodiment for a couple years now, and and so in that moment, like it was like I busted through this glass ceiling that I didn't know was glass I didn't know was there and I opened myself up into it a new world of what's possible cool. and it was literally two straight days mm-hmm. of, of just this transcendental experience where there was no mind chatter there was no egotistical narration there was mm. no cyclical patterns of self-talk that I'm very familiar with on a daily basis it was there was none of it I was mm-hmm. just so connected and open, and mm-hmm. I felt like I was a part of everything. Yeah. Um, it, I wasn't very grounded. I was so up here. Like, I had a right. hard time 
like having a regular conversation, all I wanted to do was talk about fascia. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> so my husband was just like, enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it would also really help me reconnect with the chakra system to recognize you know, I need to be grounded, I need to be connected, I need to be in my personal power, I need to feel my heart beating, um, and that's what gives me the sustainable foundation for these esoteric uh, expansions that right. are continually happening while I can still be in my body and still right. be connected with other people. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting expansion and contraction yeah. um, that is just like exponentially faster at this point than I've ever experienced before. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, what led you to study and teach mindfulness? Mm -hmm. My own desperation. Um, I was really mentally and physically unwell mm -hmm. for so many years while trying to cover it up with busyness and accolades of gold medals or MVPs or um, a night out partying or a binge fest in the kitchen or working out for six hours straight. It was like everything I did was about avoiding me, mm -hmm. avoiding going in. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't recognize that what they're doing by staying busy and like or binge eating or yeah. spending all of their time in the gym that it's a avoidance tactics totally like yeah I definitely used all of those <laughs> right yeah it's so common and that's yeah. why I'm not fearful or shameful and talking about it whatsoever yeah because it's such a normal experience and 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 for some people that don't relate to it um there's someone really close to them who's struggling with yeah. it so it's not this isn't a Marin problem this is a human problem yeah uh and so I yeah, it was basically that. Like when I realized um, that I was really, really unwell and needed to make a change um, and set the bar really low as I built in these daily practices, knowing that what I do daily matters and more, more than what I do once in a while. And mm -hmm. um, mindfulness became a daily practice of 30 seconds a day because any more than that was overwhelming. I would freak myself out or I would get stuck in these negative feedback loops. So 30 seconds a day of just paying attention to my breath. I love that. Yeah, it was really, really simple, right? Yeah. And and that's that's what made the biggest difference in my yeah. life is because I learned to love that feeling. Yeah. It started to be instead of, you know, what can I go buy to make myself feel better right now? It yeah. was, okay, I just need to close my eyes and focus on my breath for 30 seconds and then yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. And so that started bleeding throughout my entire day. It was no mm -hmm. longer a morning practice. It was at every opportunity I had throughout the day, I was going to do that check-in and focus on my breath. And it started to feel like fuel yeah. and, you know, coming back to my core. And, um, and so once I actually healed some of these pretty severe mental health afflictions and had so many conversations and recognizing, okay, this is a, this is a human problem, as I said, yeah. then I became very purposeful and passionate about wanting to be a force of um, impact for people around me to, right. to teach them these simple, tangible practices that yeah. can completely change the course of your life. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. I feel like so many people are like, oh, I don't have like an hour to do that. I'm like, you don't need an hour. Exactly. <laughs> 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Can Which is, it's the common issue of this all or nothing thinking. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's not black or white. It's not all or nothing, right or wrong, good or bad. And this is something that I learned from yoga philosophy was the non-dualism aspect mm -hmm. of um, starting with spanda, which is the expansion and contraction. Like every growth process of any kind has expansion and contraction. Right. And it's, you know, you can relate it to your breath. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can only inhale, you're going to die. And if yeah. you can only exhale, you're going to die, right? Yeah. It's the partnership of these polar opposites that create life. Yeah. And, and so that's the way we need to look at our, our mental health and our physical health practices is, no, it's not all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's one little thing I can do today yeah. and be proud of it and then do it again tomorrow and then again the next day. And then eventually it'll become habit. You won't have to think about it. It's just going to be a part of who you are. Yeah. And then you have more space and energy to add another thing in that's going to be yeah. really healthy. Yeah. And it's doing that over time instead of feeling like, well, if I'm not better tomorrow, then it didn't work. Or if right. I don't have an hour to go kick my ass in the gym, then I'm just going to sit on the couch yeah. or keep myself busy and avoid like moving my body intentionally. Yeah. 
right? It's it's so um, misguided. Yeah, I but, see that a lot with weight loss clients. Yeah, what do you notice? The they want the weight loss overnight. Oh, okay. and like I've totally been there, right? Yeah, yeah. And it'll be like a week, and they'll be like, "I only lost two pounds." I'm like, "You lost freaking two pounds! Like that's amazing, right? Yeah. Like why why are you negating that?" You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And not that weight loss is everything, but I know like that is a lot of people's goals, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I take that in with a lot of other practices like self-love and like show people like, well, how can you love yourself in the process? So when yeah. you get to your end goal that you're still not hating your body like right. I was when yes, I did it, right? Exactly. So yeah. I don't know, that's just my two cents. Yeah. I why do you think mindfulness is needed in today's society? Mm, we're just so busy. I think we're like speaking for myself, like the the mind chatter that can go off in my head when it's left unchecked um, can be really disturbing yeah. and distracting and um, and feeds into the stress response, right? It becomes this negative feedback loop totally. that you know my thoughts are not. Maybe my thoughts are really busy and distracted, and so my body will start feeling busy and distracted. And then that feeds my thoughts even more. There's this disease and discomfort in my body, and so now my thoughts are going to match that even more. Mm-hmm. And then those thoughts create more disease in the body, and then it continues on. And so we create our own demise. Yeah. And, and so to really recognize that you're not your thoughts mm-hmm. and that your personality is habitual. Yeah. That we don't need to say, like, oh, this is just who I am or this is the way it is for me. You know, that's such a cop-out. There, When you yeah. really pay attention and create neutrality in your mind and body and start witnessing these thought patterns as um, things that we learned, things that we yeah. accidentally practiced over time, and they're creating this lens of how we perceive reality. Yeah. And that's not truth. Yeah. And it's not set in stone. There are other ways to practice being and living and thinking so that we can create a lens that actually serves who and where we are and who we desire to be. Mm-hmm. And it's through these practices of mindfulness that we start to really notice. Mm-hmm. Um, noticing these habits or these patterns before they take on a life of their own. Totally. So, so it does start with a little bit of, um, not a little, a lot of excavation for a yeah. lot of us of, of looking on all these different subconscious characters and yeah. ways of being that um, were developed through trauma yeah, or just, again, through accidental habituation because we yeah. don't know any better. Yeah. So it takes a lot of that upheaval to let go and release some of these um, potentially more dark or really deeply ingrained habits. And then because we're human... Once we come back to a baseline we feel good about, then it's now I need to pay attention on a daily basis and continuing, continuing to edit little things as they pop in or these new limiting beliefs before they take a deep hold on our life. Right. So now that I've done all that excavation and I'm finally at the point where it is a day-to-day habit of, of checking in and noticing little things as they irk me or, yeah. you know, it's... It's become a beautiful, fascinating, and really fun process yeah. for me. Like I just don't carry these emotional charges that I felt victim to for so yeah. long. Isn't that interesting when something like irks you or triggers you, and instead of like staying in that, you just like stop and be like, "Well, why did that bother me so exactly. much?" Right? Yeah. Like, just start asking more questions and like get out of that like angry or mm-hmm. like frustrated mindset like exactly I think that's probably one of the biggest things I learned working with you yeah and that's Mm -hmm. helped me so much good so thank you (laughs) welcome yeah you're a great student it's been a lot of fun um yeah to be able to respond with like oh isn't that interesting yeah like look at me getting so angry yeah what is this really about how can I calm my system down right now so that I can be with this Mm -hmm. instead of reacting from it yeah. Yeah, it's it's game changer as soon yeah. as you really tap into that habit. Yeah. And like sometimes it's like easier to get there than others, oh, obviously, yeah. depending yeah. on like what it is or what mindset I'm in. But well and how how your nutrient levels are yeah. in your body when it yeah. comes to, you know, how well did you sleep last exactly, night? Exactly, right? How's your eating patterns yeah. and how have you been connecting with nature, with your breath, or people mm-hmm. you love? Like these these things all play a part in in how much energy and space we have access to moment to yeah. moment. Yeah, so that's always what I check into as well is that if I feel like that trigger has a little bit more of a hold on me, yeah. then part of the inquiry is, okay, what, where can I bring in a little bit more nourishment? 
Yeah. Right. So even checking with the happy chemicals too, because serotonin is like the police force for the body. And if you're feeling really aggressive or angry, yeah. um, part of it could be that you're lacking serotonin because that's its job totally. is to moderate and actually elevate your mood. Yeah. And, and so that's why I love seeking happy chemicals throughout my yeah. day as well um, to ensure that I'm really uplifted and full of what I need. Yeah. yeah, that's why you named your business Dopamine. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I fell in love with Dopamine. Love it. Um, yeah, which was a really interesting, I'd shared in my first book, but it, it came from uh, an experience with MDMA, Yeah. where I, I was still really struggling with depression and um, anxiety and, and food. Um, I had a, a binge disorder and, yeah, just so many different food things going on. Um, and when the first time I had MDMA... I, as anyone who's had it before, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. I was glee, like full of glee, just smiling at everybody, um, calling up friend after friend and telling them how much I love them. And <laughs> like, I felt so good. Mm-hmm. And, and because I had a habit of self-awareness already at that point, I also was able to pause and check in and recognize I have felt this good before mm-hmm. when I'm eating well and sleeping well and excited about things and in connection with friends, community, family, um, exercising on a daily basis. You know, when I'm, I'm hitting all these boxes, this is how good I feel. It's mm-hmm. not actually outside the norm. Yeah. And, and it was in that moment that I committed to, doing some research and figuring out, well, what actually is happening when I take MDMA? Yeah. Um, and how can I create this on a daily basis without being dependent on a drug? Amazing. Right? And and so then in came happy chemicals. And, yeah. and dopamine, while I love all of them, dopamine was the chemical of motivation mm-hmm. and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, what you feel when you check something off the to-do list or achieve a goal, um, it is it just feels powerful. Yeah. And... And so there was that one in particular because I love goal setting and, and being a person of action. Um, that one really stood out, and I uh, loved playing with with that to to kind of create the life that I wanted. So in came dopamine. Love it. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> I think you've touched on this a bit, but how does mindfulness aid in self discovery? Hmm. Yeah, well, mindfulness really is one pointed focus, which could be on anything, right? You can be mindful of your breath. You can be mindful of how you walk. You can be mindful in a conversation and be really present and feeling the other person's energy and um, mindful of how you hold your body, um, mindfully eat. You know, so it, whatever you're doing, you can bring mindfulness in. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to self-discovery, self-exploration, it's being mindful of noticing how you react. Uh, it's being mindful of um, how you feel at different points throughout the day. Um, what kind of energy you have in the morning versus in the evening. Um, paying attention to how foods uh, feel in your body. Um, so there's so much you can learn about yourself by just being mindful of yeah. what you do on a daily basis and how it impacts your energy or impacts yeah. the people around you. Yeah. That's, um, you touched on a few points that I really work with with clients is like, how does food make you feel? Mm -hmm. And like, what are some of the key foods that you're eating? And how do you actually feel when you eat them? And like, start paying attention to your body in that sense. Yeah. And then like looking at those foods and then they like write me back and like these foods, I know I feel like this, like not so good when I eat these. And I feel really good when I eat these. It's like, okay, eat more of the foods that make you feel good. Right? Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. need to be like a very strict diet. It's just like eat what makes you feel good. And I yeah. think that what that's what my nutrition practice has kind of come down to. Mm-hmm. And it's changed a lot in the, the three years I've been in business. I was very strict paleo when I started. Oh, interesting. And not that I don't like... I still love paleo in the sense that it's like whole foods, right? Mm -hmm. But instead of trying to put someone on this like strict plan, I'm like, well, what makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. right? Like, let's do that and like see how it goes from there. And then you're like, well, I feel amazing. It's like, wait, you're just doing something simple of eating. And you're you're tapping into pleasure. Exactly. Which is such a beautiful practice to be in as well. And another thing that many of us need to relearn and reclaim as adults Mm -hmm. Because it's vastly different for a lot of us. At least, again, I'll speak from my experience as a young kid. Um, when it came to like sensuality or sexuality, being raised in a Mormon 
family. Um, it was not like there was a lot of shame around oh, it, yeah. right? And and so learning how to reclaim pleasure in a healthy way, mm-hmm. um, and again, knowing cognitively is different than your body being on the same page, yeah. and, and the body takes a little bit more time to catch up. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've known this, that pleasure is good, and yeah. you know that sensuality and sexuality is a beautiful thing, but my body really was stuck in its old ways mm-hmm. and had a really hard time um, opening up to pleasure yeah. and feeling safe with pleasure yeah. because pleasure had taken me into some really dark places. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, I love that you're doing that and really showing clients that it's, you know, pay attention to what feels good. Totally. Yeah. Because like it goes back to the sense like not one diet works for everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like finding what foods really make that specific person feel good yeah. and not trying to conform my clients to what I think an ideal diet right. is, right? Yeah. that's not fair to them. And it's teaching them how to, yeah, be their best totally. support. Totally. And knowing, too, that, like, time of year will change what mm-hmm. feels good in your body, the amount mm-hmm. of activity, mm-hmm. um, how you're sleeping, like, all these different things actually continue to affect what yeah. kind of foods are really needed. Oh, totally. Um, and so I love, for me, it's been a process of, like, just checking in with what do I need today. Yeah. And then try to be really open and curious to try new things. And, and every single day, it's something new. So I'm not, yeah, yeah I don't want to be locked into this is the foods that I eat. Yeah. Uh, like even with plant-based diet, I've been trying to incorporate more and more of just plant-based whole foods. Yeah. Um, while I love a lot of the vegan foods that I've had, I also don't want to put this strict label on myself as vegan. Yeah. Because my nightmare is showing up to like a house party or somewhere where I'm hungry and then there's nothing there that I can yeah. eat. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. I, I, I remember, actually, when I was younger, I was um, very picky with foods. Yeah. So picky. There were so many foods that I wouldn't eat, uh, including pizza. Like, a lot mm. of foods that are actually delicious and most kids yeah. would love. I was like, ew, gross. I don't want it. Interesting. My best friend had a pizza party uh, or birthday party at Pizza Hut. And I actually showed up with hot dogs in a yeah. paper bag because the idea of eating pizza like made me sick to my stomach interesting and and so there's yeah through my late adolescence and early 20s um I've really opened up to trying foods that I thought for years no I don't like it it's gross and then realizing like oh actually it's delicious I just need to open myself up to it and stop being so stringent on what's okay and what's not okay and now honestly I'll eat anything like I love all foods and I love exploring and trying new things and I don't want to lose that. I want to make sure that I enjoy yeah. the process. Like food is beautiful. Yeah. And it can be so fun to just yeah. be open to trying and eating I feel foods. like even as kids, like I don't know if that was the case with your, with pizza, but yeah. like we kind of take on other people's beliefs. Mm. Like when I was growing up, my mom's like, oh, olives are gross. And so my whole life I was like, olives are gross, olives are gross. And then I went to nutrition school. I was like, well, I'm going to try some olives. So I was olives like, are so good. Olives are amazing. <laughs> And that's so funny. Like even like six months ago, I went I went home for I don't know some event, and I made this salad, and my mom was like, "Oh, you're gonna put those olives in?" I was like, "Fine, I'll put them on the side, but you have to try them because mm. they're delicious." And so she like had a couple. She's like, "Those are pretty good." I was like, "You've waited your whole life telling me yeah. that olives are gross, and now you like them." <laughs> like it was just like funny how that comes back, oh, and I was like, yeah. "Where did that belief come from yeah. that she thought olives were gross?" But because she probably had like a really nasty olive once when she was younger. Yeah. yeah. Or even for me, like I thought I hated mushrooms, and part of it was because uh, when I was younger, my dad found these um, cans of mushroom soup mm. in the cupboard. And he was responsible for lunch, I think it was, that yeah. day. And so he sat us down and, you know, emptied out these cans of soup. And they, like, they were rotten. They Ugh. were so disgusting. And my dad would not let anyone leave the table until so we finished it? all of it. Yeah. And and so um, I actually got out of it somehow. I had a, a date with a friend to go swimming and they showed up to pick me up. And so I was like, see <laughs> Yeah, but everybody else, all my other siblings had to forced down this rotten mushroom soup. Oh, God. And, and so it's little experiences like that that yeah. really created this emotional reaction in my body where I'm like, oh, mushrooms are terrible. I'm so glad I got out of that. Yeah. I'll have mushrooms with every meal now. Yeah. I love mushrooms. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I think part of it as well, though, is when we're younger, um, our taste buds aren't I was just going to say that. Right? Yeah. yeah. They definitely change. So we're a little bit more picky in general. Yeah. But it's 
there's so many different ways to cook and create foods. Yeah. Uh, that like think of like all the different ways you can make cauliflower or Brussels totally. sprouts. Totally. Right? That's stuff that, yeah, steamed and rotten at home when you're younger. And your parents are exhausted and they're so sick yeah. of you complaining and they're just like, yeah. put that in your fucking mouth and eat it. Of course you're going to have a little bit of a trigger around those foods, yeah. right? It's, yeah. It all comes from somewhere. Yeah. I think it's that, I know when I was growing up, like that almost like forced to try it yeah. instead of like this as an option, yeah. right? Just yeah. like viewing it differently. So Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I definitely grew up with, like, you need to eat everything on your plate. And, yeah. Like, I remember I hated uh, – my siblings and I all hated borscht. Mm-hmm. And, like, my mom made this beautiful homemade borscht. <laughs> like, you think that we would like it. What is was in borscht? Like, beets. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like a – I think there's cabbage in it, too. So it's, it's a like, veggie dish? Yeah, like yeah. a Ukrainian okay. yeah. veggie mm-hmm. dish. Um, Sounds delicious. Right? I would have hated it when I was five. Well, right? Yeah. And they're like, you have to eat all of it. And we're like, it's so gross. No. <laughs> but, Do you like borscht now? Uh, I actually haven't had it since Sweet. I was a kid. But okay. I will be open to trying it now. Yeah. Like, yeah. even as an adult, I think my taste like taste buds change, like, right. depending on what your diet's like. Yeah. Like, I see clients that eat so much refined sugar, and they're like, oh, like that's not sweet enough. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, when you, once you remove the refined sugar and start eating more whole foods, an apple will taste sweet to you now. Right. Yeah. Like I can't even eat a normal apple because it's too sweet. I have to eat the sour ones. Yeah. Interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. We. It's normalizing what we're used to experiencing. Yeah. Which means you can go in any direction. Yeah. Right? Like I used to have a really hard time with spicy foods. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Andrew, my partner, and I would go for sushi, and every mm-hmm. time, like I remember the first time, like I would not put wasabi in my soy sauce, like the littlest bit. I was yeah, like, yeah. my nose is going to explode off my yeah. face. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, every time we went, I would put a little bit more wasabi mm-hmm. until now. Like I love the feeling of my nose on fire and like, yeah, my yeah. eyes melting into like my skull. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and it's so interesting to look back and be like, that was my nightmare yeah. five years ago. Interesting. And now like all the spicy foods, I'm just, yeah. I love them. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, you touched a, a little bit about this, but we didn't fully go into what it is. So I know the work we've done together. You've taught me about embodied mindfulness. Can you explain mm-hmm. what that is? Yeah, yeah. So I, we can phrase it either way, embodied mindfulness or mindful embodiment. I go back and forth. What is um, Either is, I wrote it the other way in my question. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> either one is fine. So okay. it's just recognizing it's the same thing. Yeah. We've spoken differently. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, this is another game changer for me. Um, so because I dealt with an eating disorder for so long, I had this I had this really scary compulsion that I was recognizing that when I started feeling it, mm-hmm. that's when I would like run to the kitchen to avoid it and mm-hmm. like just shove food into my face. Right. Um, to numb whatever that compulsion was. And this was happening to me like every other day. Um, for 20 years, mm-hmm. this just this strong, intense compulsion, and I I hated it, mm-hmm. and I was ashamed of it, yeah. and I didn't understand it. Um, I felt out of control. I felt like something was wrong with me. Um, it just was such a dark sensation that yeah. I was terrified of. So I read this book called The Gift of Our Compulsions by okay. Mary O'Malley, okay. and it was the first time that I had heard anyone suggest, love the compulsion. Mm. (laughs) See it like an old friend or a naive young child or hurt animal. Uh, Turn towards it, hold space for it, see it, acknowledge it, love it, because Mm -hmm. it's not trying to hurt you. It's just a stunted part of who you are or a triggered reaction uh, that is just going to get stronger and stronger the more you avoid it or hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this poem by Rumi um, called The Guest House. Yeah, you've shared that with me. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And in Mary O'Malley's book, she elaborates on it. She expands it into like a five or six page metaphor of basically the premise of it is um, if your body is the home, you have these unwanted visitors on a daily basis. Yeah. And you can either, you know, hold space for them and let them in and whether they, you know, 
just tear through your house and pull out all your furniture or they sit down and they're loving, they're coming in whether you want them to or not. And so you need to learn how to be in relationship with them and to somewhat calm them down, basically. And what can happen over time is that if you keep avoiding it or being fearful of these things, you know, as they come in, you kind of lock them into boxes and then shove them into this side room until that room's full and then you lock that door. Mm -hmm. And then you start closing the windows because you're terrified of who's going to enter. And slowly you fill up the entire basement and main floor of your house and you're forced up into the attic. And now here you are in the attic with the door locked basically watching a video of your life instead of experiencing it. Would you say that's more of like an anxious state to be in the attic? Or? Um, that would be part of it. There yeah. would definitely be anxiety as part of it because yeah. what sends us up there is this feeling that I can't handle this yeah. stuff yeah. and it's safer to avoid yeah. it. Yeah. And of course there will be anxiety and stress and depression that comes along with it. There's just different ways that these deeper issues are manifesting yeah so it can be anxious but also what we've talked about is it could also take you down into that shutdown mode where now you're up in the attic and you feel nothing you're so disconnected from your house that you're just like a brain that's processing life but not feeling it or experiencing it and and reading this metaphor really lit me up because Mm -hmm. that's exactly how I felt yeah. I was not in my body. Yeah. I felt, I had many experiences up to that point where when I would try to talk about it, I would say it, it kind of feels like I'm 10 feet behind my eyes and I'm watching life happening, but I'm not in it. Mm. And I'm not in my body. And so I was doing things that would bring instant gratification and be in my body for that moment. Yeah. And then as soon as that situation or experience or... Um, you know, drug or alcohol was out of my system, then I would be back into this lethargic, depressed, disembodied state. Yeah. And so it was from that, reading that book and really connecting to that analogy and just being like, holy shit, that's exactly what's going on for me right now. And I don't want to be in the attic anymore. Yeah. And, and so what it says is that, you know, next time the emotions knock on the door, like, open the door, mm-hmm. see them. Mm-hmm. And and so it was the very next time for me, I remember so clearly sitting on my couch and I felt the compulsion start to rise. And I knew what would happen if I just did what I had been doing for years. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what could happen if I go a different direction. Right. So that was the first time that I put my hand on my heart mm-hmm. and I closed my eyes and I focused on my breath and I said, I love you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. What do you need? I see you. I'm here. I love you. And what happened was that compulsion continued to rise as I was familiar with. And my body was trembling. Mm -hmm. But I just was so steadfast Mm -hmm. in let's see what happens. Right? And, And the compulsion rose and it crested. Yeah. And it subsided. Yeah. And it was this cathartic release of tears and, you know, just this, like, love and trust that just moved through my system where I recognized for the first time that this compulsion is not as scary as I built it up to be. Yeah. And that if I actually just hold space and practice love and let the emotion move, mm-hmm. that it's, like, this is the way. The way through yeah. is through. And, and so that was such a life-shattering, changing moment for me where I did feel lonely at the, at the end of that, um, that wave that moved through. Like what I realized I had been avoiding and running from mm. was, was loneliness. Yeah. And, and because I had just gone through this intense rise and fall, the loneliness didn't feel that bad. It actually yeah. was like, oh, okay. I can be with you, loneliness. Yeah. Like, you're okay. We're fine. Yeah. Right? It just, it, it was such a beautiful moment for me. And and so I was in a yoga teacher training soon after that with Norm Askey and Alice Hong. And they brought in Robin Campbell, who's a psychologist here in Calgary. And he spent a whole day with us talking about the window of tolerance, mm-hmm. um, Michael Siegel's work. And again, these light bulbs going off. Like, oh my God, that's exactly what I just experienced. 
the emotion rises, it falls. We want to yeah. expand our time in the window of tolerance. Yeah. We can move up into hyperarousal, which is anxiety and overwhelm. And if we spend too much time there, we do a very normal and natural down, um, like we <laughs> dive down into hypoarousal, yeah. which is lethargy, disembodiment, yeah. depression. Yeah. Um, we'll say things like, I'm lazy, or I don't care, I don't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just everything he said, I was like, again, that's exactly what I've been experiencing. And because I had just had that experience of actually starting to heal this compulsion that had had a grip on me for 20 plus years, um, I just completely fell in love with Robin. Mm-hmm. And then he was offering um, a yoga life coaching course to cool. deep dive into the window of tolerance yeah. and mindful embodiment. Yeah. And so without question, I was like, I'm in, let's do this. And, and so then it was um, five straight days of practicing mindful embodiment, which is tracking sensation in your body and not making it mean something, mm-hmm. which is what we do. We yeah. jump into making it mean something. We jump into how can I fix this yeah. uh, instead of, following the natural ebbs and flows of sensation through the body which unlock these insights and these pieces of wisdom when we stay with it and we don't get rattled by it yeah so even pain to be with it and be curious about it yeah. keep breathing and and notice you know you can do this on your own you can do this with a facilitator moving your body in ways that feel nourishing and opening and expanding and then finding some still stillness to rest and notice what shifts mm-hmm. do i still feel the same sensation is yeah. it moving? Is it expanding? Is it sharp? Does it have a color? Does it have depth? Mm-hmm. Right? Just be with it. And you just watch these sensations move through your body. And they either move to completion and release, or they land somewhere that maybe you weren't familiar with before as needing some time and attention and love. Mm-hmm. And so then you continue the work in that area. Yeah. And it creates an integrated body. Mm-hmm. We come back to wholeness. It's a way of healing and actually being with yourself. And, and so now I do this not only with clients, teaching them how to do it, but I'm doing this work on a daily basis, yeah. just noticing sensation, getting out of the mind chatter and just being like, hey, body, what's going on? Take yeah. me on a little journey. I'm here for you. I'm just going to keep breathing and keep this neutral state so you can do the work. And I find somatic movement that just starts happening and it's movement that leads into the next movement without me knowing where it's going. Um, the myofascial yoga training has been huge of, of really learning different ways to move the body to mm-hmm. um, heal and move through these traumas and release them. So all of these different moving parts that I've been really immersing myself in keep coming back to the same thing of being in your body, be with yourself. Are you going to be teaching some myofascial like courses at yoga studios in mm-hmm. Calgary or, or classes, I guess would be better? Yeah. At, at this point, um, it's part of what I bring into all workshops. Okay. That I'm, you know, I've got lots of workshops and events and retreats coming up. They're all on my website at this point. Um, in terms of like a drop-in class, it's not on my radar yet, okay. uh, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm only a, a couple, uh, three modules deep into this myofascial training, um, okay. and I want to do the full 500 hours, which yeah. will probably take me a few years, considering, you know, how many other things that I'm yeah, trying yeah. to get done all yeah. at once. Uh, but I. Yeah, I, this is something that um, I will be teaching more and more because it's been yeah. such a beautiful process for my own growth and healing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Excited to learn more about it. Yeah, good. I'm fascinated by so many things right now. Like I'm down so many different rabbit holes that it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me to even pick and choose uh, where I would want to go next with this. Um, but I guess to be in the... In the realm of wrapping things up, um, the one thing that I would suggest everybody does, and this is what it, it's always the first step for every client I work with, is create a morning and or evening routine. Yeah. Bookend your day. And yeah. if bookending your day is too much, then choose one. Yeah. And you choose one based on where you feel like you have the most space and energy. Yeah. And for a lot of people right now, it, it is the evening. But mm-hmm. with that being said, it could be the morning. It might be the afternoon. Yeah. But finding, um, not finding, creating time for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Two minutes of just closing your eyes, like feeling comfort in your body in whatever way you can, whether you, you're laying on the couch, you're laying on the ground, you're sitting against a wall, um, 
whatever it is, pillows, like get yourself set up so you feel comfortable, close your eyes and focus on your breath Mm -hmm. and allow that breath and focus to move you in really gentle, soothing ways. Even if it means you move into like a child's pose or again, just down onto your back, let yourself do that. Like we, we spend so much time, not only busy in our mind, but busy in our bodies. And we need that time to check in and slow down and, and if you set the bar low of even, again, 30 seconds a day, then it's something you will do every single day. And that's how it becomes a habit. Yeah. But we all need it. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that it's as simple as, like, 30 seconds to two minutes mm-hmm. and, like, starting there because it's such a short amount of time that you probably waste more, way more time on Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like it's so easy to add in. Yeah. Well, so. um, we waste time all day right it's just doing that inventory check to see what you know if you're really one of those people you've got you know kids a job a mortgage a relationship friends family like it's a lot Mm -hmm. you know and people often ask me like how do you do it all like I don't have kids like I (laughs) I have lots of space and time and even with that I still get to the point where I'm like I don't have enough time in the day right people have kids and they're doing this stuff so if you're someone who has kids you've got you know all these other things on the go then really commit to those 30 seconds it doesn't need to be any more than that yeah Uh, it's it's time to invest in you and to start really taking care of your mental health before Like, it gets in the way and your life comes full stop. Do it now before you become desperate. And if you have to wait until you become desperate, that's okay, too. Yeah. But it will catch up to you eventually. Yeah. Something that I've been, like, suggesting to clients, like, again, I don't have kids either, Mm -hmm. so, like, I know it's not the easiest thing, but, like, get your kids involved. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Like, that's a practice. Like, the younger they start, Mm -hmm. the more benefits they're going to see from it. Like, I know kids that have anxiety already like yeah they would really benefit it's getting worse and worse really you know and and I think of my my sister Katie she has four kids and uh, she built a habit right in the beginning to work out every single morning Mm -hmm. she doesn't know what's going to happen throughout the day and she needs that time to herself and so her kids now every morning when they wake up they just come all the way down to the basement because they know mom's going to be on the treadmill or lifting weights and they all just start working out Amazing. As well, like swinging on the TRX and, you know, playing with their little baby weights and yeah. doing yoga and, you know, they all fight over wanting time on the treadmill. Nice. Uh, it's hilarious to watch them. Like they are, yeah. they're going to be very active kids as yeah. or not like active people. It'll be their lifestyle because they're seeing, oh, this is just the way it is. Totally. This is important. Yeah. yeah it's such a beautiful thing to teach kids yeah. while they're young. Well, yeah, they learn by example from their parents right so that comes down to every facet of like self-care right so Mm -hmm. exercise when you're you're eating healthy your kids will want to eat healthier because they see well what is mom eating Mm -hmm. right yeah um and again with mindfulness right it's like well let's do this together as a family right like 30 seconds well and my my sister has been teaching this to her one of her kids had like these kind of explosive anger episodes Mm. And, and so we talked about it a few times, and she has taught him that when he starts feeling it, to, to be like, what do you notice? Like, oh, it's so cool. Like, he's actually, yeah. he's way calmer. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be an issue as it really was, it was before, yeah. where he was exploding, and he's really strong, and he was hurting yeah. his siblings. Yeah. And for her to teach him that, like, it's okay. But, like, yeah. notice it. And as, as you start noticing yeah. it, here are some things you can do to really calm yourself down because it doesn't feel good for him to explode. He feels yeah. really bad about it after. Yeah. So it's it's for everybody. And, uh, you know, we we didn't get that growing up. My, my parents, well, they didn't know about it. They didn't yeah, understand totally. that this is a thing and this is a great thing to teach kids. And so when, I, when I'm able to support my sister, um, well, almost all of my sisters have babies now. My younger sister has a baby on the way. To be able to support them in their parenting mm-hmm. in a way that these are the lessons we've learned now that we're adults and, and so many good things from our childhood that we want to pass on. But then a lot of things like, let's upgrade. Oh, let's, totally. <laughs> you know, let's create a new, um, a new lineage that we're passing on yeah. instead of just recycling the same habits and traumas mm-hmm. and programs that have been yeah. going on for generations. Yeah. And it's so wonderful to see my siblings do this with yeah. their children. It's yeah. such a gift. 
It's like continuing to evolve, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And teaching them to be lifelong learners. And, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I, I don't, I still don't want that for myself in terms of, like, I don't want to be responsible for my own kids, uh, but I love playing the role of auntie. Like, it is it's the, best, the best, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> so great. I love it. And I think yeah. that's a big part of why I feel, uh, well, potentially part of the reason why I feel so comfortable with not having kids is I'm one of seven, yeah. um, and my siblings have already started having children, and um, there will be more. And so I don't, like, I'm just surrounded by babies, and I have been since I was really young. So yeah. uh, I don't, that, that like, desire or need to have children, I've never experienced that. Mm. I don't know what that feels like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm very happy with um, not having children. But I'm very open to that changing. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm open to the conversation. I don't ever want to say this is a hard and fast no. Yeah. Uh, but I... Yeah, I don't feel it. So I'm just going with that's that, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love that we live in a day and age now where that's not penalized or yeah. shamed. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very rare that I have someone say, like, well, how could you not want children? Or what, like, no, like, that's not true. You must want to have kids. You'll be a great mom. And, yeah. like, it's maybe one out of ten people say that now. But otherwise, yeah. it's just, like, support and love from people. Totally. And I'm really grateful that this is when I'm alive. I would have a lot harder time if this was a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot more acceptance around it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so where can people find more Marin? I know I've read your book, but I want yeah. you to mention where they can find oh, your book too. Yeah, thanks. And yeah. where you're hanging out online and in Calgary. Cool. Yeah. So my book, Be the Change, uh, it's at this library, the central library in Calgary. Um, it's also sold at Lole 17th Ave and Cult Fitness uh, and Live Yoga and Wellness. It's a few of the spots that I um, hang out or work at. Um, and then it's also on Amazon. Yeah. And it's on Audible. I recorded it as an audio book. Amazing. And then it's at Chinook Chapters. Um, and uh, Owl's Nest is another spot. Okay. Um, I think that's it. So it's at a few different... Oh, and Pages in Kensington. Cool. So I've gotten in a few different spots. Yeah. Um, and I am working on book number two, slowly but surely. It's coming along. Can you give us a little preview of what that's going to be about? Um, yeah. <laughs> so book number one is really about how to retrain your self-talk and reframe your story mm -hmm. so that it's something you're not... A, doesn't, you don't need to be proud of it, but it's something that doesn't drain your energy. It's something that you really own and embody and... Um, and so book number two, first of all, it's going to be everything that I've learned and discovered since book number one, which, mm -hmm. you know, this is always my work is like, how do I distill this down instead of just trying to say everything, mm -hmm. you know, case in point, this podcast. Um, <laughs> so really what it comes down to is that I, the title I'm working with is how to be physically and mentally fit for your unique contribution in the world. Yeah. It's a mouthful. I think how will be the focal point, and then yeah. the rest is kind of subtitle. Yeah. But it's basically, you know, what it means. So FIT is the acronym. It's FEEL to HEAL, right. yeah. which will include embodied mindfulness and how important it is to get back into our bodies and learn how to feel and reclaim sensuality and sexuality and desire and contentment. Um, Eyes integration, how to come back to wholeness, how to continually not only learn and experience new things, but how do we actually integrate them so that we're actually growing and not just like, oh, that was a cool experience and now I'm going to go back to what I've always done. Yeah. Um, T is tools, which is all about practice, different ways that we can actually, um, how we can integrate and what we can be doing on a daily basis to mm -hmm. practice what we want more of. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's mental health strength training. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like the main premise of the book is I want people to understand that they are the guru that they seek. I think that's your title. You are the guru. You are the guru. I've, yeah. That has been a working title I've been playing with. Yeah. The other one is, this is what a bitch feels like. Oh. But I'm not sure if that's the right yeah. title. That's yeah. going to be more of like a chapter heading. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a whole story that goes along with that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you are the guru. Um, there's no religion or community or... Um, environment that you need to bow down to in terms of this person or these people have more power than I have. That's mm -hmm. complete bullshit. We mm -hmm. all have this innate power. We yeah. all have this innate healer. Yeah. And when we can be in environments and communities where everyone is lifted up on the same level, that's where the healing and the power really, really comes in. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I want 
people to understand is that they have everything they need and they just and need to look inside, look inside and set and, themselves up. Yeah. That just reminds me of when we did our one-on-one coaching mm-hmm. that I'd ask you a question. You'd be like, well, like you would turn it back on me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I just want you to tell me yeah. the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and you would make me like go do the work and look inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really key point of like what I needed during yeah. that time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that was so, that was so good. I think this yeah. book's going to be great. Can't yes, wait to read it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. It's, it's slowly but surely coming along. Yeah. Um, so I, I teach a bunch of fitness classes around the city. I'm at YYC Cycle, mm-hmm. Cult, as I mentioned, Live Yoga and Wellness, and then Yoga Nova. Um, I teach Yoga Nidra over there. Uh, and then I'm a member at Work Nicer. So I'm there a few times a week, and I, I love hosting events there. Uh, otherwise, on social media, I'm at Dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-E. I'm trying to remember to spell it. It's something I look at all the time, then I forget, like, oh, right. that's not actually yeah. intuitive how you spell it. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, and I'm very open to being in conversation with people. So yeah. if something sparked your interest or you want more resources or you're curious about anything, I always encourage people to reach out. Yeah. And if I don't have an answer or I don't feel like I'm an expert in what's being asked of me, then I love being the connector of um, bringing in some of these other amazing people in my life to let them kind of take the lead. Love it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Maren. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah.